Welcome back. It's Krista Living Sober, and we're here for my next episode. Enjoy. On this episode, Vas Solo joins me to talk about his meditation courses for people in recovery, how changing our subconscious minds, we can change the way we do our recovery. I started following you on YouTube because I saw you were putting all these recovery videos online, and I thought that was pretty cool. I'm glad you reached out and book the show with me thanks would you like to tell the listeners and audience a little bit about yourself i guess let's go from the beginning uh i started using drugs at the age of 15 when i was in high school the first uh thing i did was i i smoked weed and i tried drinking and um for me the first time i tried drinking i i drank so much that i ended up throwing up but I really enjoyed it. I had a really good time. And so I wanted to do it again. And uh, same with with weed. Like when I first smoked weed, it took me into this beautiful, uplifted state. And, you know, the world was suddenly very interesting and, and exciting. And so basically, that's how my career with drugs and alcohol started. And so in high school, I was smoking weed every day. Uh, alcohol was kind of hard for me to get. So I would only do it whenever somebody would buy it for for me and my friends. Um, But when I reached my 20s and I was legally able to buy alcohol, I was I I drank every weekend and I was a binge drinker. But at the time, I didn't really see anything wrong with that because I was a young guy and we'd all get really drunk on the weekends. So I thought, okay, this is just a phase. But as I started to get older and my friends went to college and I kind of uh, was bumming around and not really doing anything interesting with my life. I noticed that, uh, you know, they stopped drinking that way and I just kept going. Right. And then I progressed to drinking on my own whenever I'd be bored. And then around that same time, my early twenties is when I started dabbling in harder drugs. I started, uh, trying, um, MDMA. Uh, I tried cocaine, uh, but my use with those substances didn't escalate until uh, the age of 26. That's when I had uh, a little bit of money now. Like I, w- I went to college, I became a personal trainer. Uh, and then once I finished college and I, I started working in my field, I started to have more money. And right around that same time, I met somebody who was a Coke dealer and he delivered it. And so I was like, ooh, let's let's take advantage. And and I didn't intend to do it every weekend, but it became an every weekend thing for me. So I, I, I ended up using cocaine for about seven years, uh, like every single weekend. And then it started to bleed into the week and I lost a very important relationship over it. And that's what like really showed me that I was powerless over the substance. Did you depend on the cocaine right away? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, mm-hmm. I just thought I was going to have some fun on the weekend yeah. with my girlfriend. But then the next weekend came and I wanted to get it again. And then a few months mm-hmm. passed and I was doing it every weekend. And then that's when she's, mm-hmm. she started telling me, you know, maybe we should stop. And I was like, yeah, we should stop. I agree. And then the weekend would come and I would still call my dealer, even though she would be telling me not to. So she was able to not do it. 
-hmm. and I was still doing it. I see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I ended up losing that relationship after three years because I became more and more uh, addicted and I I became more and more selfish and Mm -hmm. it became a very unhealthy relationship and she ended up leaving me. And, you know, that was actually the first time that I said, okay, like that was the first time in my life when I thought maybe maybe there's something wrong with me, because before that, I always thought, okay, like I was having trouble sort of getting into healthy relationships with people, but I would always blame them. I was the smarter one. I was the one who who could see through people's facades. And like, I was just like crazy, right? And when she broke up with me, I thought, okay, like here's a girl that I believed loved me and then now she's leaving me. So maybe like I I have to start looking at myself to figure out what's wrong with me, right? Not Mm -hmm. with other people. Yeah, my story, kind of similar. Started out drinking just for the fun of it and then at 12 and then it kind of progressed all throughout high school and alcohol poisoning didn't stop me. Getting in trouble with the police didn't stop me. In and out of courts at such a young age, it was just tough. Everyone else can handle their alcohol. So I was just like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. And did you did you ever end up doing anything harder or was it mainly alcohol for you? It was mainly alcohol, but I believe alcohol kind of was a gateway drug. I did try marijuana for the first time when I was drinking. That only progressed to like cocaine as well. In my 20s, I tried a bunch of different drugs. So mainly alcohol though. Alcohol just opened the door for everything that went wrong in my life. Yeah, that sounds very similar to my story as well. Um, So how long have you been sober? Five and a half years now. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, how about you? So I am almost four years in December. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Getting up there. Thank you. And I've seen your posts and I know that uh, you use the 12-step program, right? Mm-hmm. I started out doing it with a sponsor and then I had all the materials. I kind of just read through it on my own. So so I just say like I didn't finish the stuff. I follow like the NA traditions. That's kind of what helped me in the beginning of my recovery. I read the dress for today's every day. So yeah, other than that, I kind of just did recovery on my own and me and my fiance are both in recovery so we kind of like lean on each other and we have that support that's cool because it's interesting i've met now that i've been in recovery for five years i've met people who have done it differently than the typical like story and and that's pretty cool like i find it's interesting to hear those stories for sure I moved from Massachusetts to Rhode Island to become sober. I had an experience that propelled me to become sober. So after that experience, I went to a detox and then I did a six month program called the Salvation Army in Rhode Island. And so that program was a faith-based program and that helps me get on the right path again. I'll say that program is what got me sober. And then after that program, I did a living sober house for another six months. So I was always in like a structured environment around recovery, but. Yeah, so you had you had support systems. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. How about you? So I went into the 12-step program uh, okay. after those seven years because my life had basically, well, it was falling apart. I guess comparing bottoms to other people, it, it wasn't as bad of a bottom externally, right? Like I wasn't homeless and, I had no deed, uh, you know, I hadn't lost everything, but internally I just felt completely like empty and broken and I just could not handle like repeating the same pattern, right? I just felt like I was living Groundhog's Day, like it was the same thing over and over and I just wasn't, 
I just the the most painful part was I felt like I was not living up to what I could be, right? Like my idea of my potential and 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 what I could be did not match my actions and and what I was doing with my life, and and that was like extremely painful for me. So that's what compelled me to go into the twelve step program. And you did this on your own? Did anyone kind of make you, or were you like, hey, I need help? No, like my mom knew what was happening with me, and and she kept telling me I need to go to treatment or I needed to do something. And in fact, I went to the twelve step program right after that breakup that I was telling you about, mm-hmm. and. Uh, when I went and I, I checked out, it was an AA meeting and I, I I went a few times, but I couldn't connect to the people there. I thought it was cultish. I thought it was mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't, I couldn't like relate to people there. I'm like, no, no, no. You guys are like way more messed up than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of judged people and I said, no, like, let me see if I could do this on my own. And so for three more years, I, I went into a worse and worse addiction. And that's when I became uh, sort of I had the gift of desperation I, yeah. where I just said, OK, like, I'm done. I don't know how to cure myself. I need help. And then I found a CA meeting. They used a 12 step program that's in the big book of AA. And so w- when I met people there and they were telling me like, oh, like I was a crackhead for 20 years and I'm like okay I snort cocaine and seven years and I'm not homeless like you or like you were but if you can recover right I can relate to the feeling of powerlessness I can't stop on my own and if you can recover using this program then I think it could possibly work for me Mm-hmm. So it was a bit more reasonable, humbled because of all the suffering that I'd gone through. And uh, I knew that my mind was working against me. So I, I kind of made this conscious choice to not listen to what my mind was telling me, which is, okay, like mm-hmm. to be doubtful or fearful or to judge the people in the program, but just to like throw all of my ideas out and to do what they told me to do. Yeah. Our minds are so powerful. So when you kind of shut all that chatter off and like just, you know, work the program and do what you have to do. It that's what is, that's what opens us up to actually be able to heal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Healing. And for me, the most powerful uh, realization when I started working the steps was that it was a spiritual program. I, I just came there to get rid of a drug habit. Yeah. And uh, here I am. I'm like, oh. Um, they're asking me to connect to this higher power and to give up my will over to it. And I don't even know what it is. But for some reason, when my sponsor asked me that, I was 100% willing. And it it was like this beautiful, freeing concept for me. And then now that I reflect back on like my whole life, I always felt like there was something missing. I always was, was questioning life. I was always wondering like, why are we here? Why do people do what they do? I didn't want to follow the status quo and I didn't know why. And I I wanted some deeper meaning to life. And when I connected to the 12 step program and the concept of a spiritual, uh, way of living it, like just, it was like, I, I, I woke up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I went through that too. It was a huge awakening actually. Yeah. Right. Spiritual awakening. Do you believe, you know, in God or do you have a certain higher power? In the beginning, when I first started doing this, I just felt like, okay, there has to be a greater reality, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. I, I, I was okay with the concept of God. I, I didn't yeah. grow up religious. My grandmother is very religious, but no one else in my family is. I had some prejudice against religion, you know, like a lot of people yeah. that uh, come into the, the steps, right? Mm-hmm. But um, today that concept has evolved. 
right? The relationship with God has evolved. Just as I started working the steps, my grandmother would bring used books to me and most of them were cookbooks <laughs> and she would buy them at this bookstore. And I'm like, grandma, we don't like, I don't need cookbooks. Like I can just open my phone and find any recipe I need. But one day she brought me five books, four of them were cookbooks, and one of them was a book called The Perennial Psychology of the Bhagavad Gita. As I started to read it, the person who wrote it is a Swami from India who grew up in the Himalayas meditating and, and just completely devoted his life to God. It was a commentary on the, the Bhagavad Gita. And as I was reading it, I was deeply inspired by all of these by these philosophical ideas about life and, and its meaning. And the thing that really stood out to me about it was that he was talking about meditation in it quite a bit. And he was saying that meditation was one of the main tools by which a person who is seeking God can actually have an experience of God, right? Can, can mm -hmm. further uh, awaken to this spiritual reality. And so that it resonated with me because I realized that I didn't just have to believe something, mm -hmm. but that I could actually test this faith through these practices. That's how I got started with with yoga, not not like just stretching, right? Yeah. Like in the right. post. Yoga originated philosophy. from meditation. Like that's what yoga was originally. It was just meditation. It was just sitting in the cross-legged position and just meditating. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so what's what's how did you find yoga? Um, I found it years ago. I used to get these DVDs from the library and, and I instantly fell in love with it because it just it made me feel amazing afterwards after a yoga session and um and it just made me feel better and I kept doing it and it affected my mind as well and not just my body you know mind body soul and so I don't know I just I loved it I've scrolled through your Instagram and I've yeah. seen you doing some mm -hmm. poses and stuff yoga just brought me out of that darkness that dark place and I learned that I went hand in hand with my healing with my recovery in different ways and it grew my faith even more it gave me different perspectives on life on what's out there and so now I kind of just believe in a God, like a higher person, you know, that is in control of everything that I can't control. I think I hear what you're saying. I first started reading uh, books on yoga. Yeah. Right. So from that mm -hmm. book, I bought more of uh, his name is Swami Rama. I bought I more of Swami Rama's books. And mm -hmm. the more I read, the more I wanted to know. And a lot of the things that he was talking about, like certain concepts, even when he would describe meditation and, and its practice. I was meditating at the time, but basically doing what I was reading in books, right? So I thought like to meditate, you sit down in a cross-legged position on the floor, you close your eyes and you try to just be still or connect to the breath, right? And that's part of it. But there's mm -hmm. so much more to meditation. I, I ended up learning later. And he would describe certain things, like he would say that, you know, the first step to being able to meditate is concentration, right? And I would say, how is concentration related to like doing what I'm doing, right? And I didn't understand. And he would say, it's also important to prepare for meditation properly, right? And I would say, okay, well, what does that do? Like, why is that important? And then he would talk about reaching certain states and I wasn't necessarily getting there in my meditation. I wanted to know how. And I went, well, he's lucky he grew up in the Himalayas. He had this enlightened guru, right? And here right. I am mm -hmm. in, in the city and I have no idea how to do this. But I kept seeking. And um, this was like around 
the one year mark of my recovery. Mm-hmm. So I, I just want to backtrack a little bit yeah. by saying that after I had worked the steps, I had a spiritual experience, the spiritual awakening. Okay. Right? What and I found, well, I found that I suddenly was like my thoughts had changed, how I felt had changed, how I saw the world had changed. And I realized at a certain point, about four or five months in, which is when I had basically finished the 12 steps. Uh, some people would say, you're never done the steps and they're kind of right. But uh, the first round through it, I found that I was starting to feel very happy, mm-hmm. which I'd never felt before. And I felt a sense of satisfaction and yet nothing around me had changed, right? Yeah. Like I still had the same girlfriend. I was living in the same place, same job, but suddenly everything just had more meaning. I felt happy and I was like, wow. And, and people call it the pink cloud yeah phase of 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 recovery right or i call it the honeymoon phase right like everything's exciting remember that everything's brighter (laughs) it's just incredible right and and Mm -hmm. i i realized later on that the reason i felt like that and a lot of us do is because we go from this like state of suffering and misery and darkness and quickly change into this other state of openness and expansion and, and freedom right we do a lot of work in a short period of time and that powerful change is what makes us feel so amazing. But then I realized that if you continue doing the same thing that you were doing to get there, it starts to become a normal state for you, right? Mm-hmm. And it's no longer enough. And so I, I, I like to say it's like doing kindergarten, right? Because some people call the 12 step spiritual kindergarten. Yeah. But then instead of going to grade one or two, you're you're stuck in kindergarten. And anybody that is going to be stuck in kindergarten for years is going to start to feel like, what am I doing here? I've learned this already. Right. There has to be something more. Right. And that's how I felt. After five to six months, I kept working the steps. And then after a year, I started to feel like, oh, my God, I'm still dealing with a lot of negative thoughts and emotions. Yeah. Right. And doing inventory and praying is sort of helping me manage this, but it's not helping me to burst through this next plateau. And so that's it brings me brings me back to seeking. I was seeking. I was reading a lot of books on yoga and trying to practice what they talked, but I didn't have like a definite set of directions or or like a a teaching that I could follow. And then somebody in the 12 step program told me about this meditation center where I live and told me that I should check it out. And I said, sure, why not? I went there with my mom and the meditation center was part of an organization called the Self-Realization Fellowship which was started by Paramahansa Yogananda, right? Um, mm-hmm. He's no longer alive, but he started this uh, this group of centers to spread the teachings of yoga. And I found out from them that they had lessons and that I could right. sort of start to learn more about the path and become a disciple. And because I had had this amazing meditation that day when I first went, my mom and I both had it actually. We both yeah. looked at each other after and went, like, mm-hmm. did you did you feel that? Like that was amazing. And then we both had this beautiful experience that I'm like, I have to learn what they're doing here because the energy here is amazing. And that's what brings me to this point. I'm a part of uh, sort of this this community now, um, and I've been following Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings, uh, doing his meditation, and sort of it changed how I felt like it actually helped me to get through that ceiling and to feel basically to the point where I never, almost never have a bad day anymore, which, yeah, which I realized I'm like, one day I woke up and I'm like, I don't have bad days anymore. This is insane. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. How? <laughs> I, want, <laughs> I want that. <laughs> My training only touched upon meditation, didn't really go into meditation in depth. So I see on YouTube that you do meditation videos. And now do you have courses that you teach yourself? How does that work for you? Yeah. So what happened to me after I, because I, I'm, I'm a cerebral person, I, I try to like understand what's happening to me, why I've always questioned things. Yeah. And once I had this experience and I started to practice my my guru's teachings, it started to really like help me to grow spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I and I understood this concept, right, that people there's um, people in the 12 step program who have been there for 10 years and they're faithful to working the steps and they're good people, mm-hmm. but they're not very happy. They're still struggling right. after 10 years. Right. And then there's people that you meet in the 12 step program and you feel being more recovered, just being next to them. They just have this amazing spiritual energy to them, Mm -hmm. right? Like, have you met people like that before? Yeah, I have. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right. And so for me, I think that one of the main reasons that differentiates those two people (laughs) is the people who are thriving in recovery have pursued further spiritual growth outside of the program. Okay. Yeah. Right. Like whether it's through what you're doing with your yoga, right. Or it's by joining some sort of spiritual community Mm -hmm. or it's by even going to like, you know, Tony Robbins seminars or whatever it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I think that essentially within us is this desire to know God and Mm -hmm. God, if God is all powerful, all pervading and the creator of this universe, then God is essentially infinite. Right. Beyond space, time and causation. And so within us is is a part of God. Right. If yeah. I believe that we have a soul. Right. We're a spiritual oh, being yeah. encased yeah. in this mental, uh, uh, energetic and physical form. Yeah. Right. And this creates the illusion that we are limited. However, our true nature is that infinity. And so mm-hmm. when we're looking for that infinity in the world, this is why people, for example, try to amass unlimited amounts of wealth because no matter how much wealth you have if you don't satisfy that inner desire to be in touch with that once you have a million dollars you're going to go like i want 10 million right and when you have 10 million you go i want a billion and so this never-ending pursuit of the infinite through material means is is always going to make you hit a dead end and feel dissatisfied once you achieve that material goal right Mm -hmm. and what this essentially the spiritual path for me does when I meditate, it it allows me to shut out all of the material reality and distractions and even like the distractions of my mind, Mm -hmm. my association with the body so that I can experience or get closer to that infinite self, Mm -hmm. right? Which is like drinking the elixir of of joy or happiness or satisfaction. And if I'm doing that every day, I'm constantly Mm -hmm. being refreshed and expanded through that experience. Know if your listeners are going to relate to that or connect to that. <laughs> hope, but that's no, been. I've had some people on here talking about spirituality and stuff like that. Perfect, because when I explain mm-hmm. this to certain people, they just look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> but this has been my personal journey and experience, right? And mm-hmm. this is why I feel like I don't have those bad days anymore. It's because I have a very effective uh, set of tools 
which allow me to get to that experience. So my teacher, for example, is somebody I consider an enlightened saint, like Buddha, like Jesus was, Mm -hmm. like all of these avatars who are basically incarnations of the divine, who are telling us that you also are that, and here's how you get to the point where I am and you become one with this infinite, all-loving, all-joyful, blissful reality. Yeah, I love that. And spirituality is so crucial. It goes hand in hand with sobriety, with recovery, whatever you're recovering from. If you change your mindset and accept the spirituality aspects of it, then a lot of healing happens. Yeah, because I think that God, (laughs) I I call my addiction a blessing in disguise. It's Mm -hmm. the way that God was able to open my eyes or make me be Uh, humble enough to look for this intangible truth because otherwise I was trying to find all that satisfaction all the things that I was telling you about Mm -hmm. relationships career right money Mm -hmm. drugs obviously and they were all they all left me feeling empty and I think that there's people in this world who are not addicts but they're in this certain incarnation where they're not interested in that yet right they're Mm -hmm. not a soul that has yet matured to the point where it's finally longing to be free of this delusional state. Mm, they're not a- awakened yet. Yeah, or ready they're to awaken. Still in that, in that realm. Yeah, somebody and once said, it's like, let's say you're a soul that, that takes on a body, right? Yeah. It's like, basically, uh, you go into this world, which is full mm-hmm. of distractions. It's like going to an amusement park. You start riding the roller coaster, and at first, it's really exciting. But then, like, when you r- have ridden it a thousand times, you start mm-hmm. going... Okay, like what else is there, right? Like why am I here? And so souls like you and I and other people in recovery, I think we've been given this blessing of addiction to make us reasonable enough to finally get off that roller coaster and to go, okay, how do I get out of this theme park, right? Yeah, yeah, I like that perspective. It's almost like we were given the tools to wake ourselves up and then we can help wake other people up. I like that. Exactly. But Mm -hmm. people who aren't necessarily ready for that, when I I even bring those concepts up, I used to think that Mm -hmm. as soon as I realized this whole thing, I could tell everybody and they would be super interested. And like most people just go, I got a family to feed. I got things to do. I'm not interested. I want to go see the new like Marvel movie. Right. And I'm like, they they don't want to know meditation. They don't care about. And that's fine. I've learned to like understand that and not let it bother me like it used to. That's so cool. I want to know more about meditation. Yeah, well, and so uh, you asked me, what do I do now? So this understanding that, you know, we need to pursue more spiritual growth Mm -hmm. and being connected to the spiritual community and learning this really effective and beautiful uh, method of meditation inspired me to want to share it with people in recovery. Mm -hmm. And so even though I'm somebody who's super scared by public speaking, Right. Yeah, like same. Just, being in front of people, just like I immediately, my heart starts beating. I feel yeah. so like uncomfortable. I'm not a big fan of using social media, but I said, I, I just felt this burning desire to share this message. So I started a YouTube channel and, you know, learn how to record videos and be in front of a camera. And I created my, uh, a six week online meditation course that teaches this type of meditation and I use sort of recovery language so people like you and I who are in recovery can connect with it and to learn a very powerful tool that will bring them closer to God and also to help them get over those negative thoughts and emotions which I know all of us struggle with. Oh yeah, 
addiction does not discriminate. Yeah, exactly. And it can be anything, whether food, you know, drugs, alcohol, whatever yeah. it may be, shopping. Yeah, you know, there's, there's so, so many, many different ways. addictions, but there is release. Sobriety is possible. Recovery is possible. You said that you haven't had too much experience with meditation, but Mm-mm. do you do you do it occasionally or you don't have a practice yet? I kind of just center myself and then I do like the white light healing meditations. I learned a lot about yoga, but not about meditation. Cool. I'll have to send you a, <laughs> a link to my course for sure. Yeah, that would be awesome. So I would love to learn out. more. And even from the meditation that I've tried and that I've experienced, I know how much it changes the mind and For sure. how much it does heal. And every time you come to the mat or the meditation, it's healing every yeah. time, right? I think that medit- eventually people will look on meditation like they do on physical exercise. So mm-hmm. like we now understand how important it is to exercise to keep the body in good physical health. Right. Right. Like almost everybody goes to the gym these days or does some sort of physical activity because we realize Mm -hmm. that it's important. I think people will look at meditation that way Mm -hmm. in the next 20 to 50 years. They'll realize like for mental health, it's one of the most powerful tools. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and they're not going to miss it. Like we don't miss brushing our teeth Mm -hmm. because meditation actually it does. It gives the mind the four things that it needs to be healthy. Your body needs the same four things. So it needs it needs exercise. Yep. Meditation exercises the mind. It gives the mind good nutrition. Mm-hmm. Okay. It gives the mind cleansing. So our body needs to be cleansed regularly. Yep. It gives the mind rest, right? So yeah. if you're doing it every single day and you're giving yeah. the mind those four things, you're going to be much you're going to have much better mental and emotional health than you would if you're if you don't have that practice. But to me, it sounds like you do a sort of med- you do meditative activities. Yep. Right. Like your yoga practice. Yeah. Is, I mean, that's just like a med- movement meditation. Exactly. Yeah. Except we're using the body more in movement. You know, our mind stays in a meditation state. Yes. Because you're trying through, to through breathing the through the. Yep. Mm hmm. Yeah, you're connected to the body through breath. You're concentrating on the mm-hmm. movement, on the subtlety of the position. Right. Right. So it is uh, meditation through <laughs> movement. Yeah, it's helped so much in my recovery. And I'm very thankful that I was able to get certified and that this technique was there, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of yogis, I mean, most yogis do asanas or postures because they do a lot of uh, they, they help to balance the body on a very subtle level. Right. Like all of your energetic yeah. centers, your hormonal the chakras, everything. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what helps you to then sit to be able to sit for a long period of time in your meditation posture. Right. So the spine is healthier. If the if the body is in balance, then it's not going to bother you or distract the mind from going into these more uplifted states of consciousness. Right. Which is yeah, really a lot of people do do yoga before meditation. And that's what like my preparation uh, is all about. Right. Like I do uh, 10 to 15 minutes of this routine that I have. It's where you tense and relax certain parts of the body, mm-hmm. which prepares the body then for the meditation. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not just about like just doing it. It's about being present while you're doing it, which Mm -hmm. calms the mind to a certain degree from this outward restless state that we're normally in when we're interacting with the world and life. Yeah. It sort of slows it down a little bit and then 
you sit down and I do a breathing exercise, which again, connects the mind to the breath and calms it even more. And then you start to do the main technique, which involves watching the breath and repeating a mantra. And that makes Ooh, the I mind- I love mantras. Yeah, and that makes the mind much more single pointed and takes and, and helps you to remove all of the other mental distractions. And then that allows your consciousness to lift up into a higher state of awareness where you're sort of free from, to some degree from your ego, from the distracting thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you can experience that blissful peace, which then heals you every time you sit down to meditate. If you're in recovery, yeah, that's beautiful. You, you got it. You have to you be have doing to. this, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very important. So that's my message, really, awesome. to pursue further spiritual growth and to to try meditation because it, yeah. you'll see how positive it is and how big of an impact it'll have on recovery. Right. The only thing you have to do is to try to be disciplined about it. Yeah. You know? And I think that's what's hard for a lot of people is they think, oh, I have to sit here in silence and shut my mind off. And how am I going to do that? But if you have the right techniques. Yeah. It makes it possible. And once you experience the states that I'm describing, which may sound kind of hokey to people who haven't ever felt it before, once you taste those states and, and yeah. what's possible, then you go, I want to be there again. And then you see how great it is, how it translates into how good you feel after you meditate and your relationships and even like your ability to be creative. Then you go, OK, yeah. like I cannot I cannot not meditate. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like we all need that awakening, that something to pull us from the darkness into the light. If you would um, send me all the links and stuff, then I can post everything underneath my videos and all that good stuff for my listeners and the audience. Yeah, and it's cool to meet you because I, I love meeting yeah. people who are, are like, you know, making that effort to to reach out to the recovery community and and to be a voice right because what you yeah. have to contribute is is different from what i have to contribute mm -hmm. and you're going to connect to certain types of people and i will connect to certain types of people so the more of us yeah that are out there speaking mm -hmm. out the more exactly, of us that have a mission or whatever we're just you're rippling, gifted. <laughs> yeah we're rippling out into into the world and, yeah. and hopefully helping people who need it meditation is a big part of your recovery in what ways has the sobriety that you found in what ways has it changed your life? I like to make a distinction between mm -hmm. being sober and being recovered. Okay. Right? Because I, I have like a, a little saying on my Instagram, which says sobriety is a decision. Recovery is a process. I like right? That. Yeah. So I made the decision that I wanted to be sober, but I had to go through the process that are required to be truly recovered, where I didn't have the obsession anymore to, to drink or use drugs. So it's had a beautiful impact on my life. I mean, I, I went from being somebody who thought he wanted to be promiscuous his whole life, who could never even entertain the idea of getting married. Like to me, marriage yeah. seemed like this huge punishment and so dull to falling in love with mm -hmm. my wife right and get, getting married yeah. and and learning that actually i don't want that kind of life of promiscuity like there's nothing there for me mm -hmm. right and having this deep loving what i try to make as a selfless relationship right mm -hmm. is so much more so much more satisfying mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent more rewarding the things that i wanted when i was an addict have completely mm -hmm. changed right my perspective yeah. and mm -hmm. i mean my relationships in like with my family have improved whereas before i was a burden and a headache and, and yeah. constantly worrying them 
um, and hurting them. Mm-hmm. Now they call me whenever they need someone to talk to, to like help Same. them through <laughs> an issue, right? Yeah. It's a whole 180. It's amazing. The blessings yeah. and how everything, every part of your life changes for the better. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not to say that I haven't had to go through a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's right. Not. Life. Life is life. Yeah. But with the tools that we have, it's like now when I have a challenge or something doesn't necessarily work out, like my YouTube channel, I had like nobody watching it for a year. And I, it's, I still don't have like Jake Paul type of subscribers. <laughs> I have a thousand people who have subscribed. Yeah. But it, but it doesn't matter because I looked at all of that as just a way to grow, a way to reach mm-hmm. out. And, you know, I've had like quite a few people who have seen my videos reach out to me and I've, I've zoomed with them and we've talked and I've sort of been able to guide them and, and help them through their, their whole process, right. Of recovery. And that is super satisfying. It's way more satisfying than having like, you know, a hundred thousand yeah. subscribers, but not being able to help them, you know? Right. And that's the key. <laughs> The bottom line, to get the message out there, to help people. Yeah, to connect, Mm -hmm. to connect, Mm -hmm. to to share this with with others, right? Mm -hmm. 100%. Even in the big book, it says we don't make a sole vocation of this work, right? Like, you have to first take care of the people who are close to you Mm -hmm. before you, like, go and do this, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been like an amazing journey you know I've I've gotten to talk to so many different people who are in the recovery scene and they get to come on and share their message and you know I hope other people out there are listening and can gain some insight gain some whatever it may be from my podcast from what everyone comes on and shares yeah so you're you're doing your part (laughs) and you're doing an amazing job yeah thank you you are as well and what are you most grateful for today and why I would say just uh, being being given the gift of of awakening, spiritually awakening, mm-hmm. because without it, I would I would still be an addict. I would still be a burden to people. But now that I've like now that I I've realized you know for what the purpose of life really is, mm-hmm. at least for me in my path, it's been it's given me a purpose and it's given me sort of a, an ability to actually live in a meaningful and happy way. So for sure, just connecting to to God and, and, and having that experience is every day. I'm grateful for that. And I try to live accordingly to, to that understanding. Thank Thanks. you so much for coming on my podcast. 